I would invite you to open up to Luke chapter 4. We'll start there. I need a volunteer named Ben Austin. Ben, can you come up here for a second? Thank you, buddy. Now, I hand-selected Ben as I sat in the back this morning because I thought, you know, I have enough relationship with Ben that he can't get too mad at me for what I'm about to do to him. Does that make you feel nervous? No. No? Good. It's a cool customer right here. Um, So, are you a marksman with the bow? Somewhat. So you so you've shot this before. You've shot something like this before, and you feel like you know the position and all that. Yeah. Okay. Here's what I want you to do. You see Jameson in the back. Wave, wave your hand, Jameson. I want you to pretend there's an apple on his head. Okay. okay? Now let's just pretend. But I want you to pretend there's an apple on his head. What I want you to do is I want you to brace yourself. And I want you to get in the position um, to go ahead and ready yourself, aim, but don't yet fire. Okay, so that means I want you with tension on the bow that it's going to get the arrow to split the apple on top of Jameson's head. Hold still, please, for the sake of imagination. Okay, are you ready? Mm-hmm. All right, and we, can we just keep it really silent? This takes lots of concentration, and Jameson's imaginary head is at stake. So, so gain the, are, are you injured? This isn't going to aggravate anything, is it? Okay, good. All right, all right, complete silence. Let the man think and breathe. And go ahead and assume position. Ready, aim. Okay? Now just hold that. Now here's what I want to tell you about this. Watch. Watch this. Okay? See if that's going to hit the arrow. The rest of you, watch this. While he's holding it back. I picked Ben because he's a strapping young man. He works out. And what I want to tell you is this. That tension without rest ruins your aim. So just watch this right here and feel for Jameson's imaginary head. Hold the pose. Hold the pose. Okay? Hold the pose. Tension's really good. This arrow does not go anywhere without tension. Do you see that? Tension's really, really good. You do not achieve in life. You do not, you do not move forward in relationships. Stories have tension, but they also have release. Watch this. Is Jameson safe? I don't know. I don't know if he's safe anymore. He's doing way more longer than I thought he might do. Okay, let's give him a pause. Give it up for him. Thank you very much, bro. So participatory learning means this. Tomorrow morning when Ben's a little bit sore, he's going to be like, oh yeah, what was, the, what was the lesson yesterday? Here it is. Ready? Tension without rest ruins your aim. Ready, aim, fire. So imagine if Ben were just slinging arrows at targets all day long, right? There would come a point that he would need to stop. Why? Because Ben is not a machine. Ben's a human being. And we have been designed to have tension and then rest. Work and then Sabbath. We're talking this morning about stress. Now, don't shout this out, but just sort of a question for your own mind. What stresses you out? Here's what's fascinating about living with people. When you live with someone, you could answer that for the person you live with. Your roommate, your spouse, your parents, your kids. We kind of know how each other ticks and what stresses them out and what stresses us out. Today, what we're going to talk about and what we're going to see from Jesus is how to deal with this. Let me ask you this. How are you handling your stress? Is there room for improvement on how you are handling your stress? Some of you are like, man, 
Have you been reading my mail this week? Like, this is right where I'm at. We have stressed out people in this society. Uh, there's a birthday boy here who recently had a birthday party, and my son Eli was at the party, and he left his brand new sweatshirt at the party place. And when, when he was asked, like, hey, how come you left your sweatshirt? What happened? Here's what he said. He said, I had a lot on my mind. <laughs> Poor little Eli was stressed out. So we don't have a hot tub, but if we did, I would have put him in the hot tub, just give him a little massage. <laughs> Chill out, buddy. It's okay. Here's the central truth that I put in your handout this morning so no one misses it. Jesus takes time for solitude to regain his aim. Jesus takes time for solitude to regain his aim. Again, don't show your hands, but think of how you would answer this. Answer this binary, yes or no. Was Jesus busy? Just think about this in your mind. Was Jesus busy? So as you think about that question, here's what may stir up. You may say, well, Jesus was the perfect embodiment of like how we're supposed to live life. And, and I think sometimes we have this sense that busy is bad. I would submit to you that Jesus was busy. Let me give you some synonyms for busy. Complete, generous, occupied, engaged, involved, employed, hard at work, active, lively, full. Now those are sort of the positive traits of busy. Now it can also, in a negative sense, be hectic, crowded, or like a busy body, which both have negative connotations. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 4, uh, starting in verse 40, excuse me, this is from last week. Jesus is healing. I want to show you the context because it sheds light on what we're talking about this morning. Verse 40 says this. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, Jesus, and he laid his hands on them, every one of them, and healed them. So the scenario is this, late into the night, any who had sick were brought to Jesus. And as they lined up to meet with the good doctor, what did he do? He laid his hands on each one of them. Couldn't Jesus have just with like a magic wave of his hand, didn't have enough power to just sort of like make it really efficient? I think he very much could have done that. On each one, he takes the crowd and with each one, he heals their various diseases. Jesus was busy, but he wasn't hurried. And I think therein lies the difference. Are you busy? Is that good or bad? Are you hurried? Is that good or bad? What we see in the Gospels, these these records of Jesus' life, is that he lived a full life. He lived the abundant life, but he was not hurried. Jesus was always right on time. And you may ask yourself, how did he do that? Jesus was fully God and fully man. So in his humanity, we're going to see some things. And, and what he does is he, he models it for us. Because we could just say, well, he's God. And so he had foreknowledge and all that. And we can't possess that. Instead, what Jesus models for us today is something each one of us 
can walk in. So after an exhausting night of ministry, Jesus pulls away to recover. And in verse 42, it says this, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Mark records this same scenario, and he adds this, while it was still dark. So this is early morning. And he also adds this note that Jesus was praying. He didn't just go get away from it and relax. He went away to connect with his father and pray. Tension and release. Periods of incredible busyness and then pulling away to rest and to recover. We've been learning from Jesus how to handle some of the tough things in life. We have some baptisms, both services this morning, and we're super excited about that. And I want you to take your mind back a few weeks ago to, to um, where Luke records Jesus' baptism. So Jesus has this public affirmation. And he hears what every child longs to hear from their father. I love you, and I'm proud of you. Remember that? Publicly affirming who Jesus is. And right on the heels of that come these difficulties of life. We looked at temptation. Sometimes the Spirit leads you out into places where the only one who will visit you is Satan. Jesus modeled that for us. Jesus is tempted by Satan to take shortcuts to good things, to switch allegiances. And each time he pulls out the sword of the Spirit, the Bible, and he refutes him. We also looked at rejection. Jesus goes on to preach in his home church. And at first he's cheered by his home church, and then he's jeered. Hey, physician, heal yourself. Ultimately, they try to kill him for what they believe is blasphemy. We saw last week and the week before that he deals with sickness and demonic attack. Jesus is unlike any other healer, any other doctor, because he's never stumped. He equally rebukes demons out of people as he rebukes Unhealthy cells out of people and both obey his authoritative word. This morning, very simply, we're going to look at how Jesus handles stress. Let me read the passage in full. It's a few short verses, but there's a lot to, to look at here. It says this, And when it was day, he departed, and he went to, into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to God, of God, to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. In your notes, you have a few things that you can write down. First, I want to talk about the stress. What is the stress? The stress he is facing are competing values. What produces stress in your life? This is probably oversimplified, but think about it for a second. What produces stress in your life is this, demands that are placed on you and your inability or perceived inability to meet those demands. It's not just demands being placed on you because if if you are uh, working at Taco Bell and there's one customer per hour, even if you're brand new, you can handle that, right? But what if there's five customers per hour and then 20 customers per hour and then there's just a line out the door all the time? Isn't that where the stress increases? So think about demands being placed on you. There are external demands being placed on you. Kids, your parents tell you, hypothetically, yesterday around 11 o'clock, please take the trash out and empty it. 
That's a demand being placed on you by someone in authority over you. Now, hypothetically, yesterday at 11 o'clock, there was cheerful, immediate, complete obedience. Can we give a round of applause for that? I don't even say that jokingly. I think that is something to be cheered, genuinely. God gave parents to kids because kids are needy. They need to learn this. So we cheer that. That was a great thing. Demands are placed on you by your family, by your employer and teachers, by your friends, that kind of thing. But there's also internal demands. Internal demands might, be, might sound something like this in your head. You should really do dot, dot, dot. Why can't you be better at dot, dot, dot? Why aren't you more like dot, dot, dot? You shouldn't do dot, dot, dot. Now, some of these might be an attack from the accuser. Some of these might be something called your conscience that just says you really shouldn't do that. And that's God gifting you with conscience saying, yeah, you really shouldn't do that. So do you see that there's external demands that are placed on us and there are internal demands placed on us? When we are meeting the, the, the demands, when it feels well within our wheelhouse to complete the, the task, there's not a lot of stress. But when you combine lots of external demands, students think about finals time, right? Lots of teachers all making demands. Then there might be internal demands going on. Oh, I really have to ace this test. Why aren't I better at studying? Why can't I be more like? And then there might be parental or friend pressure demands going on. So you see where stress would just really begin to increase. Jesus is under tension with competing values. Here's what I see. I see that Jesus has these competing values, these good things. Do I stay here in this town and continue to meet the needs of these people? Don't you think that if Jesus has been healing all night a long line of people, that word would get, get out even more and people would bring more people to Jesus? Surely there were more needs to be met by the king of kings walking around the earth in this little town. So do I stay here and do this, or do I go on to other towns where they need to hear the good news of the kingdom of God? Surely there are needs in other places as well. And then let me add a third demand. In his humanity, Jesus needed to rest and recover. We see elsewhere in scripture that when healing power goes out of Jesus, it drains him. Those of you who've ever done people kinds of professions... You know that you're probably a people person. That's why someone pays you to do people kinds of jobs. But even though you're energized by people, after a certain period of time, you are just drained. You're drained emotionally and spiritually and, and actually physically as well. So we know that when healing power goes out of Jesus, that he needs to rest and recover. He wasn't put as a God machine. that just lay hands, people walking. That's not how it was. He was completely man and completely God. So, so do you see the demands? More needs here in this town. I need to rest and recover. More needs elsewhere. Are all three of those good things or bad things? Answer me. I think they're good. Do you not know? Don't, don't those sound like good things? Meet the needs of people. Heal them. Cast demons out. Good thing. There's a whole bunch of other people who've never heard the good news of the kingdom. They've been trapped under sort of this, this pharisaical scribe way of thinking about God. And it's all backwards. They need to hear that. Good thing. Rest and recover so you don't burn out, so you don't miss your aim. Good thing. 
So we are under stress, under tension, when we have competing values. And what I would submit to you is this, that tension without rest ruins your aim. People are coming to Jesus with their needs. Mark records this, that Peter comes and says, Everyone is looking for you, Jesus. What happens sometimes in our tension is exaggeration starts to happen. Everyone's demanding everything of me. That's not a true statement. Doesn't it feel that way though sometimes? Moms, no matter the number of children you have, it feels like everyone needs something from you. For my wife, it's a lot of living human beings and then the dog will sit there and just nudge into her until she deals with the dog's needs as well. Everyone needs you. It's been a long night. Jesus is tired. It is precisely at this point that our ability to make good choices with good words in a good spirit tends to plummet. When we have all these demands on us and we don't have clarity about how to meet them all, we start to realize at some point, think of that person spinning plates and somehow he keeps adding more and more plates. He's down at Pier 39. You can go check him out. At some point... You add one more plate, you realize, man, it's not just that plate that's going to fall. What's going to happen? The whole thing's just going to crumble. I mean, I've got one on my head. I'm like Dr. Seuss on my foot. Right? And you just, there's a panic that sets in. Man, this thing, this thing could all go, like, end really, really badly. Everyone is counting on me. The whole department. All my future grades in school depend on this moment. I mean, we, we, we tend to put these things on ourselves. Tension without rest ruins our aim. So what is the solution? The central truth is this. Jesus takes time for solitude to regain his aim. The solution is to reduce your speed. To recognize your God-given choice. God did not create you to do this indefinitely. He gifted you with Sabbath. So Jesus is working really, really hard. Some of you know this. Most of you know this. That there's a, there's a thrill to speed. We were created and designed to achieve, to work hard, to produce, to create, to nurture. Jesus is functioning out of all of his glory by healing people, by casting out demons, by modeling this for his Disciples, the problem is that sin distorts things. We tend to think if some is good, more is better. If fast is thrilling, faster must be way more thrilling. But maybe not. My mom's here, and um, she has spent, I apologize for this mom, but she has spent more than her fair share in the waiting room of the ER at Kaiser. And she raised four boys, so... My brothers contributed, but um, I have the scars and the pains later in life here to prove that I love speed. I'm a speed junkie. I, there's a thrill to it, and what happens physically is this. You push these different boundaries, and you find out, oops, that was a little too far. And then pain triggers in your brain, lodges in your brain to say, oh, go this far, now, now stop. So I've learned. I've grown a lot over these last some years. Um, 
And uh, plus, I know this, if I ever died doing some extreme sport, my wife would kill me. She would be left all alone raising nine kids, and so I, I, I have chilled out a lot. Now, what about our souls? What about speed that just keeps pressing upon our souls, our internal life? I mean, some of you know this. There's just a real thrill to find out what you're good at and throw yourself into it. Hear me, that is a God-given, glorious thing. It's totally by design. But wouldn't you agree that no company or school, maybe or family, hands out trophies and awards and promotions for taking good rest, for slowing down, hitting the pause button, and taking care of your soul? What happens is this. You get good at this. Point over here. Do this some more. You get good and notoriety and people pat you on the back. You're doing great. And so they just, and we're gonna, you're going to get a promotion. You're doing so good. You're doing better than everyone else. If you just do a little bit more, you'll get a promotion. Pretty soon what happens is our aim, where we're heading, gets all out of whack. Not only is Jesus working hard, he takes time for solitude. In that central truth, circle the word take. Take is a very important, purposeful word. It's not that Jesus has time for solitude to regain a perspective, to regain his priorities, or that he stumbles across moments. He takes time to do it. Let me tell you a dishonest statement that I'm guilty of. You probably are too. Someone in church, someone of your friends, someone is describing something, and you say this, I don't have time for that. That sounds really nice, but I don't have time for that. Probably a more truthful statement is this. I am not going to take time for that. It really isn't that you don't have time for that. It's that you already know. That sounds great, Dave. It sounds great to rest and pull away and have solitude. I don't have time. Probably not true. Not probably. That is not true. You are not going to take time to do that. I'll tell you what I'm hoping to do today. I'm hoping to change your mind, if that is you. Dallas Willard said this, You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Do you hear how purposeful that is? You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Now, lest you feel like, great, Dave, you don't know how busy my life is. And lest this come across as one more law that you go, wow, not only now am I busy, but now I feel guilty about being busy. If only you knew my life. I would point to Jesus. Was Jesus busy? I think so. Were there demands placed on Jesus? I think so. Was he under tension and accomplishing things? I think so. But Jesus took time to find solitude in prayer alone, away from other people. Now, if managing time is a struggle for you, look at me. I have really bad news for you. You are about to lose one whole hour of your life. Next Sunday is spring forward. Everyone mark this in your brain right now. Kids, remember to wake your parents up an hour early next week for church. Almost always, we have a larger than normal second hour attendance on this one Sunday. You're about to lose an hour. It's about to get even harder this coming week because of that. Look at this quote from Andrew Bonar. He says this, In order to grow in grace, we must be much alone. 
It is not in society that the soul grows most vigorously. In one single quiet hour of prayer, it will often make more progress than in days of company with others. It is in the desert that the dew falls freshest and the air is purest. I want to tell you a little bit about my sabbatical. This is something that the elders gifted me with this last year. And I'm, I wrestled with whether to bring this up because what this does is this highlights, great, Dave, if my company ever gives me a sabbatical, then I'll be able to accomplish this. But I want to share with you some things that um, I really feel like I knew what to do with a sabbatical because I have been a diligent um, keeper of the Sabbath for my entire ministry career. God has grown me. So for 22 years, I've been a full-time pastor. And for 22 years, I've made a practice of some of the things that I got to put in practice in much greater measure because I was given this lengthy period of time. We're super excited that Ben, sitting in the front row, uh, who has been on staff with us now for over 10 years, he's going to get a sabbatical this coming May. Um, and uh, we'll share more about sort of the heart and ideas behind that. But let me tell you this about my sabbatical. After a week of just being at home and carving out time to just do the family errands of getting kids to school and all kinds of stuff, um, I took off on a trip. I took about 11 days, uh, and it was just me and my Jeep and the wilderness, and uh, it was a time of primarily a time of solitude and silence. And what that trip was about uh, was not getting away from it all. It was not saying, it was not an escape. I just need a break from all these people. <laughs> if you know me, that's not me. My heart is with my family. If I have extra time, I want to be with my wife and my kids. So it wasn't an escape. It wasn't a panic mode. I need to go find myself. I knew who I was. But I went out anyways. This time away was the result of many, many, many retreats that I have taken now for 22 years of ministry. It's a practice of seeking out a word from God, direction from God, approval from God, disapproval from God. God, what in my life needs to burn up and go away? Would you blow through and show me things? Here's what's powerful. Jesus did this, and so I was just following his lead. Jesus gets away and I was doing what Jesus does. Let me tell you this. In all the times of carving time out in my schedule to do this, hear me. This has never, ever been a waste of time. Very rarely in 22 years have I felt that I had extra time to do this. I'm thankful for a supportive wife who knew the value of this. Here's what I realized. It's always produced fruit that does not show up in my week-to-week life. Anytime I've ever pulled away, it shows, it produces fruit that doesn't just show up in my week-to-week life. So what is the result of Jesus taking time alone? Here's what it is. It's the gift of sharper aim. Look at our text. He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. When you have your identity set, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When you have your identity set, and when you're clear on your purpose, why was Jesus sent? To preach the good news. What does he say later on in Luke? To seek and to save the lost. 
There's a handful of must statements in Luke that are really powerful. I'm not going to take the time. Maybe we'll get into it in a future Sunday. But he says, I must, I must, I must. There's this drumbeat of Jesus knowing what it is. So catch this. You know your identity. You know your purpose. It makes priorities super clear. All of a sudden, you know what your priorities are. You get settled on your identity. You understand your purpose. And you have clarity on your priorities. When you and I are faced with tough choices, these are the kinds of questions that surface. Of all that I can do, what must I do? We know we can't do it all. There's lots of options which are essential. And there are many possibilities, but what is the priority? Jesus faced tough choices, and yet his aim was straight and true. I started earlier in the passage because I want to show you Jesus does this right in the midst of a very busy life. Can I let you in on a little secret? Thank you, Eli. (laughs) Do you know what's free every single day? The sunrise. Free. Now, I know some of you aren't on speaking terms with the morning hours. The relationship's a little bit rocky. You haven't talked in years. It's free. People try yoga, therapy, medication, expensive gyms, working out, achieving at work, overeating, overdrinking, on and on and on and on. What is that? Maybe it's an escape from all these demands. Everyone is looking for me. And yet every day, God says, my mercies are new every morning. And there's something powerful about Sunrise. I'll tell you how God cured me of not liking mornings. He gave me children. (laughs) Children wake up, whether it's Saturday or daylight savings time or whatever. So I became a morning person. Jesus wants to gift you with clarity. Competing values that create tough choices are given clarity through time away with God. Just, Just listen to that carefully. Competing values that create tough choices are given clarity in time away with God. I'm going to get really practical with the few minutes that I have left. Let me go back to my sabbatical for a second and walk you through some of, some of what went on. <clears throat> I felt really open-handed to do what I do almost once a year, and that is this. In this time away, uh, my entertainment was a fire and silence every night. So it was this question, God, do you still want me to be a pastor of a local church? Just ask that question. I left on this trip with my own preconceived ideas and wishes and whatnot, but I just tried to ask that really open-handed. And if the answer is yes, do you still want me to, to be the pastor of this local church? Hear me clearly. I love you guys. I love being the pastor at 1302 Branham Lane and sort of all that this place represents. Jesus didn't move on because ministry wasn't successful, that he wasn't effective. He moved on because he got clear marching orders that he had other work to do and the time was ticking. I only have so many years left. So God, do you want me to be a pastor? Do you want me to be a pastor here? The answer was a resounding yes. I'm joyful about that. Honestly, that's what I wanted to hear. But I just said, God, let me give time and space to really listen and see if that's true. 
Outside of the church and my family, the other big thing that takes a large chunk of my time is something called Foster the Bay. You guys hear about it all the time. I put Foster the Bay before the Lord. I said, God, do you still want me being involved in Foster the Bay? Maybe you had me get this thing up and rolling for a season, and now is the time I'm supposed to set it down. And if I am supposed to do it, do you want me to increase my time, or do you want me to decrease my time, or do you want me to leave it about where it is? I'll give you the answer. The answer I received from the Lord was, stay at it. Keep up the good work with Foster the Bay. And keep at the amount of time that you carve out for it. Primarily, Dave, you are a local church pastor. Stay with that. But in these other margins, pour time and energy into that. Do you know how clarifying that is? That's massive to me. In my day-to-day, Monday morning work, many of you call and email and have questions and have ideas. I have internal demands that are going on. There's opportunities all over the place. I'm left all the time. What's essential? What's vital? What am I supposed to most be doing? And so to just have clarity about that, you know what I won't do? I won't wrestle with this and freak out about this when things get easy or things get really good later on this year. This is really settled. I know I will revisit this again at some point, probably a year from now, but this is settled. And there's such clarity in that for me. Let me tell you a a couple of tiny shifts. One of the things that I, just through prayer and through sitting and listening and evaluating where my time goes, I felt like I had this invitation from the Lord to set down weekly men's group. For 12 years, almost without fail, weekly, I've met with some group of men who meet for a community group. And it's been a great joy. I love it. In setting down men's group for a season there was like this question of like, what else is on your heart? What else is around that that there's need that would excite you? And immediately God brought to mind young adults. So just so you can hear, church, since I came back from my sabbatical, I have ceased meeting with our men on Thursday nights, which I've done for a long time, and I've picked up meeting with our young adults. We have a phenomenal group of young adults that are around this church. We see them often, we talk about them often, and uh, and I'm thrilled to be more hands-on involved with them. I moved on to my family. Here's what's great about family. I didn't have to ask God, should I still be married? The answer was yes. Well, then to who? We already know that one. Her name's Becky. You made a vow. Stay married. I didn't have to ask if I should still be a dad. Settled. To which kids? We know which kids they are. They have my last name. What happened, though, was the ability to allow God to speak into me some things that were painful to hear. Some things that needed to be stripped away, changed, bad habits that have fallen to. And I'll just tell you, in this extended time away, not being with people, not making decisions, not thinking about all the cares of daily life, Becky took on that pressure. There was, there was, there was some clarity around our family. And it was a huge gift. I just want you to know, it was a huge gift for your pastor to get time away doing this. Let me give you a couple more examples. We did a series, if you want to go back and look at any of this in more detail, we did a series a few years ago called Greater Than. And it was all about prioritizing. I want to quickly take a couple thoughts and look at our church collectively and our work, sort of the nine to five hours. Many years ago, our church did this same practice. We just said, God, we have some great success. You've pointed us in some directions. We want to we be open-handed about, do you have any course corrections for us as a church? 
We took a couple years as an elder board to invest extra time researching, talking, meeting, kind of just getting our head above the tree line and saying, God, are there other directions you want us to go? We use this metaphor of a sailboat and heading because uh, what a heading is, is it's a general direction over here. It's not that every moment you are pointing directly at it. Do you see that? Because the wind shifts and for a while you're, you've got to do this, but you always know how to make mid-course corrections back to generally on the horizon where you're headed. So as a gathered fellowship of those who are controlled by the Spirit, we aren't just all off on our own like little kite boarders. We have joined together as a church, which means that our successes and our hurts affect one another. Our general direction as a church affect one another. At the end of 2016, we revealed these results after seeking clarity for God as a church. And when we talk about heading, which we do every single week at staff meeting, every single month when our pastors and directors get together, we think in these terms. We felt convinced that God wanted us to be a simple church. What we mean by that is this. We want to be aligned around a few key things. And we want to be really accessible. That it's not hard to get into NBC. It's not hard to get into Jesus, to get into the Bible. Which means we say no to the trivial many things we could do. And we say yes to the vital few that we're supposed to do. Secondly is that we will be a church um, that is highlighted by family. Which means quite simply this. We will live out our calling as the household of God. That we think in terms of budget, staffing, how we handle disagreements, all of that through the biblical picture of, of the family. And so we want to live out as a church how God would have us be as a family. But secondly, it's that we will fiercely support the family. We will lift up and support the biblical concept that God gifted to us of what a family is. And in case you aren't paying attention, that's under attack. That's under question. That's up for grabs in a lot of people's minds. For the second week in a row, just so you know, we have a booth in the back uh, for Real Options, which is designed to give young women and young men who have found themselves in a place of being pregnant, unwanted uh, or unplanned, uh, being given some counsel, some ideas, some concepts, some truth to move forward with that. Finally is the idea of all members using gifts. We're, we're convinced, like every church I know of, that every Christian is gifted spiritually. That's the easy part. But we want to live out that conviction in such a way that the paid staff, the super servants who let me treat them like paid staff, even though they're getting paid in heaven, that what we do is we live out the call in Ephesians to equip the body for works of service. Not that we do it all and let the rest of the body atrophy. So that means knowing what your gifts are. We're utterly convinced our church is less if all the gifts aren't working. In the same way that if all of your muscles, tendons, ligaments, and the blood doesn't run everywhere, your body is less effective, less healthy. So it is with us. Let me close with this thought of thinking of our work as worship. Um, talk about competing values at work. Most of you don't work for God like I do. Kidding. Pastor joke. You work for shareholders and people who want you to achieve your bottom line, whatever that might be. 
These are some questions that we asked a few years ago. How can I hold on to my values and get ahead in such a cutthroat environment? Can I serve my customers and Jesus at the same time? I mean, the bulk of your waking hours, if you're employed full-time, especially in this valley, is going to be wrestling with these things. What place does faith have in the workplace? And can I, sell, can I not sell my boss short nor sell Jesus out? When I'm talking about workers here, by the way, I'm talking about those who are employed, those who are formerly employed, those who are future employed. I'm talking about those who are working in the home and those who are working outside of the home. I'm talking about students. So your work, and I think this hits everyone in this room, is your job, finding a job, your studies or your homework, or your chores or your housework. Does that hit about everyone in the room? I think so. So this is for all of us, not those of you who someday will have a job. Philippians 2.14 is a great verse. It says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Another version has it complaining or arguing. Does this or does this not include your chores? Yes, it includes your chores. How about your job? Yes. How about the parts of your job that you don't feel called to but are on your job description that you just have to do? Yes. It includes it all. Do all things. I think many people need to change their mind about work itself. We're not to be conformed to the world, but transformed by our changed minds. And perhaps no other greater area is needed more than in the hours of 9 to 5. Or if you're like some of your companies demand, 7 a.m. until 9 p.m. So let me offer you these thoughts very quickly. What has God said about work? God is a worker. So when you work... You're mimicking God. What's his past work? Creation. What's his current work? Providence. What's his future work? Restoration of all things. God's a worker. Secondly, is that God created us in his image. He said, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. Tend to the family and tend to the field. Do you hear it? Work at home. Work hard. Work as unto the Lord. Work and live out your image there. And tend to the field, go outside the home, achieve, create, work, all of that. Those things create tension. That's a good thing. All of this God called very good, and this is pre-fall. So what happens after the fall in Genesis? It doesn't, it doesn't begin work. It changes work. It's not the start of it. It's that there's now going to be difficulty. Number three is this. There's a dignity that comes from being made in God's image to work. Listen carefully. Monkeys don't manage and develop and release potential in people. Doesn't happen. Plants don't cook or create symphonies or paint pictures. Stars speak of God's glory, but they never use written language to magically convey ideas to one another. Birds are incredibly beautiful, created things, but they have never built an orphanage school that lifts people out of an institution and seeks to place them in loving families. You know who do that? People do. You know why? Because we are endowed by our Creator with His image. This has been stamped into us. When there's thorns and thistles and pain in your childbirth, know that that is a frustration in your work, but that your work is good. I want to invite a portion of the band up right now. I think just Travis is going to come up. 
I want to turn the lights off in the house, and I want to allow this moment, even though there will be some music playing, to be a kind of prayer for you. This is a really honest song we've sung here before. It's called In the Silence, and I want you to listen for these words of this prayer. That my ears can hear how to walk in your ways. Job was told to stop and consider God's wonders. I think sometimes we skip over the first part of that. Stop. Reverence is often the fruit of reflection. And reflection is often the result of stillness. Christian, you are changing every day. You possess the power to live out what God told you to do. If he's given you good works to do it, he's equipped you to be able to accomplish it. My prayer that this, this morning would be, God, help me tap into the rhythms of how I'm supposed to achieve these things that you've given to me. If there are things in my life that I'm trying to accomplish that are not from you, Help me to joyfully, graciously, and with utter clarity set them down. Leave them for someone else to do. If there are things in my life that I need to pick up, and I'm clear that I should pick that up, help me to have the faith to do that so it will give me clarity about what I'm not supposed to do. God, show us where the pause button is. Teach us, God, to live the abundant, busy life that isn't hurried that isn't frantic, that isn't frustrated. What a gracious thing in a few verses to give us this free, readily available secret, God, of how to carve out time with you in the midst of a very busy life. You're so gracious to us. You're such a good father. In Jesus' name, amen.